said I'd wear green and red all, all month, so holding true to my word. So far, running out of red and green shirts, so hopefully the Christmas comes quickly. Um, we, thanks, man. We launched uh, last week into a new study in the book of Matthew that will take us through the end of October of 2020. Uh, hard to believe it's almost 2020, right? Thought we'd all be robots uh, by then. But we, um, we've been walking through, as we walk through this, we would invite you on, into this journey with us. We have a reading plan as we read through the book of Matthew and other passages uh, in the back. We ran out last week, but we got plenty more copies back at the Welcome Center. Grab one off that table, or you can go to our website. There's a PDF format at the uh, bottom of the homepage. I don't get any royalties from this. I just want us in the Word together. So I encourage you to check that one out and uh, follow along with us uh, this coming year. Last week, we made it through the introduction of Matthew, which was 42 generations of names that are very difficult to pronounce. And as we saw in there, we saw the faithfulness of God to his promises. We saw them to, uh, first of all, Abraham. They said, through you, I'll make this great nation, the nation of Israel, and through Israel, I'll bless all nations. We saw him make the promise to David that from your line will come a son who will sit on the throne and reign for eternity, not just over Israel, but over all nations. And then we saw his promise to the exiled people that there was a hope of one day being restored back into the land, back under the rule of a good king, a rescue from darkness. And we saw that Jesus is the one who's the fulfillment of all of those promises. He is the promised Messiah, the king. We saw last week that Jesus was the right man for the job and that he was born from the line of Abraham, the line of David, and from those who had been exiled. But this week we're going to turn the corner in the second half of Matthew chapter 1 and see that Jesus is not only the right man for the job, but he actually is the right God for the job, Yahweh in flesh. Last week we saw Jesus is from the right royal line. This week we'll see that he's had a right royal birth. So I um, wanted to know, how, how many of you in the building today use Twitter? Are you, are you tweeters? All right. Okay, just a few of you. That's cool. We're not here to Twitter shame. This is a safe, ex- accepting uh, space. Uh, some of you older people are looking at that thing. Oh, is that like an app for like bird watchers? I don't understand what, what's going on there. Um, this is actually, tw- Twitter is a social media platform where you can tweet these messages. And these messages, it's called a microblog because you're supposed to limit these tweets to 280 characters. It used to be 140. They doubled it. So now you can tweet 280 characters. So if you send out a tweet, um, you have to be very intentional and specific about every character that you use. So a lot of people use the shorthand, like you've seen before, right? Or great. Now, one of my aunts doesn't quite understand how that shorthand works, and she thinks that anything that ends with a T, you can use eight. So she'll say things like, see you tonight. I'm like, no, no, that's actually to Nate. Um, and I don't know who Nate is. I'm, I'm Justin. You sent that to, to Justin. I don't, I don't know. We're, we're working through that. So when I send out a, a tweet, if, like, because everybody's dying to know what I had for breakfast this morning, right? I have to be very careful about the space. So I tell you, I ate no gluten for breakfast, right? And so I use some emojis and some shorthand to let you know in the limited capacity of space that I have. Well, Matthew, he wrote his book just a little bit before Twitter came out. Uh, during a phase of uh, before we had Facebook or emails or blogs. And in Matthew's time, when the Jews would gather around the synagogue, they didn't have what you and I have today. Matthew didn't walk up with a PowerPoint, good morning, synagogue. And then if you'll kind of open your smartphones and everybody would uh, scroll to Isaiah, see what I, yeah, I did that one in the first service and it went over about as good. Um, so they would, they would use these scrolls in the, the synagogue and they, most people in their homes didn't have a copy of scripture. Imagine what that would be like. Most of us not having a Bible in our own homes. That, I know. And so most of us, 
most of us, they would maybe have some excerpts of scripture, but they'd have to come to synagogue, hear it, then they would memorize it and pass it around orally because of the time and attention and resources it took to write the tedious process of writing down on a scroll. So when Matthew, led by the Holy Spirit, writes his gospel, he had to be very economical with his words, very strategic about what he put in and what he didn't. They all had purpose, uh, like we said. Now, regarding Jesus' birth, God becoming man. In the the Gospel of Matthew, he only gives us 31 verses. They didn't have verses at the time, but what amounts to 31 verses for us of the day? So so we need to pay attention to every single detail in the story that he does choose to tell. In Matthew's ancient tweet, every character counts. And so as we read this passage together, I want us to to think about it this way. What is Matthew's intended meaning? We call this the author's aim. The author's intended meaning. Why he wrote this. What is his goal? In other words, whenever you read scripture, you should always be thinking, what do I need to know and believe? What did God say? This, you need to know this about me and about your life. In other words, if God didn't have this passage in Scripture, what would we be missing out on that we need to know? And so as we read this passage together, I'd ask you to be looking with that lens. What is Matthew's meaning here? What's his goal of telling us this story? So I'm going to read it for you and invite you to think about that as we read. This is the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until, ask your parents about it afterward, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Now, as we read through this passage, and I've had a little bit more time on it than you have probably, Two, two things that have stuck out to me as I've worked through this passage this week. The first thing we see, the, Matthew going out of his way to underline that Joseph did the right thing. He's a just man. He did all that the angel commanded. He wants us to know that Joseph was on track. He also wants to know, he wants us to know that, the, that Jesus did not come from man, but from God, from the Holy Spirit. It says, Emmanuel, God with us. These are the two things that popped out at me as I read the text. And so the two questions I want to answer this morning in regard to what I think Matthew's trying to get at, his aim here is, number one, why do we need to know that Joseph wanted to do the right thing? Like, why is that detail important for us to hear? And why do we need to know Jesus was born of God, not of man? What difference does this make in 2019 for us? So the first question here, why do we need to know Joseph wanted to do the right thing? Well, in verse 18, he starts, he says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Now this is really cool, because if you were here last week, we saw that five, five words in, it said, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus. That word genealogy comes from the Greek word genesis, or genesis. The word birth here is actually the exact same word. So again, he's underlined, this is the birth, this is the beginning 
of not just a new life in the form of a baby in a manger. This is the beginning of new life for all creation. For every person on earth. And this is how he says the new beginning begins. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Now this is a specific period of time that Matthew is highlighting. And it's important to note why. The word betrothed means legally pledged to be married. This is their engagement period. While they're betrothed, but before they came together in house and to consummate the marriage. Now, Jewish uh, engagement in their culture, very different than today. So like I just walked through this myself uh, last March, March 11th, 2018. I snuck into Jill's Californian apartment, unbeknownst to her. Didn't get the cops called on me, hallelujah. And with rose petals and candles and piano, I wooed her or tricked her or something into marrying me. She said, yes, glory, hallelujah, right? And so in this period of time, between March 11th and June 8th when we got married, this is our engagement period. Now, any point along there, Jill could have broken off the engagement if she wanted to. She didn't, again, praise the Lord, but we got, and we got to June 8th, but and had she done that, had she broken it off, there, was, there were no legal ramifications, right? She, I, there, there was a promise made, so she would have broken a promise, and she would have broken my heart, but, but otherwise, no, no, no lawyers would have to get involved, there was nothing legal at that time, just a ring on a finger, but in the Jewish culture, very, very different. In the Jewish culture, how an engagement period worked, this was, it was an arranged marriage, so it was actually the, the parents that would, that would come together and make this agreement. They would seal the, the, the agreement with a bride price called a dowry, right? They, they would make it, there's land or uh, livestock involved for, for the uh, price of the bride. And once that was settled, they would enter into this period, is a one-year period of betrothal. Where before they moved in and made the mar- went through the week-long marriage ceremony and made the whole thing legit, this was a, this was a year-long period where they were engaged, but have, if they break it off at that stage, it is considered divorce. It, would, it was considered a legal marriage even before the actual ceremony had taken place. So this was a big deal. And it's in this period, it's in this period of time that Matthew is addressing. So look at what he says. When he was betrothed, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, in Luke chapter 1, we're given Luke's side, or Mary's side of the account. We see that, that she's told this is actually going to be the Holy Spirit placing God inside of you. But in this story, we're just told things from Joseph's side, and we're not told how, he's, how he finds out. Right? I don't know if there was an awkward conversation Mary had with him. I thought maybe she tweeted him, like that's what she would have probably done today, and just simply said, Holy Spirit impregnated, right? And then that would <laughs> communicate, soak it in. I, I took some time with those emojis. I was pretty proud of that one. Now, Joseph, I doubt Joseph's buying this story. It was the Holy Spirit, right? right? I mean, you can't blame the guy for going, I know it wasn't me probably was another human being, that's adultery. Because again, this is seen as marriage. And so the right legal thing for Joseph to do would have been to divorce her. In fact, Jewish law would have had it taken a step further. Deuteronomy 22, the law of Moses would have the stone, would have the adulteress stoned specifically in this time of betrothal. That's what the law was, uh, was referring to there. Now, the Jews are living under Roman rule at the time. Remember, they've been exiled. So Rome's in charge, and because of that, they didn't let Israel carry out some of these laws. They were not allowed to try somebody and and kill somebody under their own jurisdiction. But what Joseph could have done, and current culture and law would have called him to do, would to have been to make this thing into a a public spectacle. Remember the scarlet letter? Um, That he would have drug her into the public square, 
that he would have put her out in a court of law, kind of made an example of her. And in, in essence, what this would have done, it would have pinned a scarlet letter to her chest, made her a known adulteress. And it would, it would ruin any chances she'd have of remarriage, any chances she had of any good social standing. It effectively would ruin her life. But in verse 19, you look at what, what Joseph did. That her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. There was another path that their law afforded. And what he could do, he wouldn't even have to call it adultery. He could just simply write a certificate of a divorce and that there were two witnesses there. So that's really just the four of them that are in the circle. He could write, give her this, the, the certificate, send her away, and what this would do was spare her all of the shame and humiliation that would have been coming her way. Joseph here essentially is saving her life. And does this not point us to their son that came to bear our shame? And to remove our sin as far as from the east is from the west. Joseph's heart here is to both do the right thing, which would be to legally divorce her. Not have been appropriate for him to, have, to marry her now that she had committed adultery. But also to do the loving thing and to share, save her from as much shame as humanly possible. Now, Joseph, we know what Joseph didn't know, right? Like, we know the end of the story. We know what happened, how she became pregnant. We know Jesus is God. We know he's going to die on a cross and raise again. Joseph didn't have all that laying out for him in plain print. What Joseph didn't need here was better intention. He needed better information. And that's exactly what he receives from the Holy Spirit. Moving along, verse 20. But he, as he considered these things... This word meant to ponder, to mull it over. You can imagine this, this dilemma of his is keeping him up at night, what he's going to do about his situation. And in the midst of considering this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, linking him back to that lineage that we talked about last week, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Remember we said this phrase, what has been spoken by the prophet, that's going to be referenced 12 times in this book. This is the first of 12, and this is from Isaiah chapter 7 that the promise comes from. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the angel here, the angel coming to Joseph is saying, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I know it looks bad, but I'm telling you, this wasn't the shady dude down at the local Jewish bar. This really was the Holy Spirit. And he orders Joseph to take Mary as his wife, to take the son, uh, to take Jesus as his son, and to give Jesus uh, the name that he was supposed to be given. And so what do we see Joseph do? Again, he does the right thing. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So we see Joseph's heart, again, is one to trust and obey. So at first, he was listening to God's word, God's voice through his word to do the right thing and legally divorce her. And now he's doing the right thing, listening to God's word through the voice of the angel which said to take her. And so he does. We see that he takes Mary as his wife. He takes precautions, says he knew her not. They didn't even sleep together until the baby was born. 
extra precaution, right? Do the math, Joseph. He didn't have to wait quite that long, but that's cool. Takes Jesus as his son and then gives him his name. And we'll see why that is significant as well. And so what we see from Joseph here is a willingness to trust and obey God. I want to ask us this morning, are we too willing? When, when we hear from God through his word or his spirit, when he tells us what to do, by principle or specifically, do we trust his heart and then obey him? Maybe he's told you to do the right thing, even though you know there's going to be haters. There are going to be people who push back against it. Maybe he's told you to do something. You need to go have a conversation with somebody that you don't want to have the conversation with. Maybe he's saying you need to make a decision for your family that's a little bit different. You need to take less money or move locations or move that job. You need to let, you need to forgive that person, let it go. You need to help spare them as much shame as possible. Whatever he's calling you into, if he's told you to do it, are we willing to do the right and loving thing? To obey God, do what's right, and what is most loving toward the other. And Joseph here, man, what a beautiful picture. Remember we talked about last week the upside-down nature of God's kingdom that Jesus is, is calling us to? What do we see here? God is not looking at the outward of Joseph. He didn't pick somebody who was already currently ruling and reigning as king. He picked a social nobody. He didn't say, well, how many times a week does Joseph go to synagogue? Can I use him or not? He's looking at his heart just like he looked at his great-great-grandfather David's heart. In fact, what does the angel say? Joseph, son of David. And we walked through this study earlier this year. With David, they look, God looked at the outward appearance. It did not look at his outward appearance, but at his heart. This little shepherd boy, he's a man after my own heart. I will choose to work with him as my king. And he preserves this line. Not a line of people who are without sin. They're just as sinful as the next. But a line of people who would trust and believe in the promises that God would make. Righteousness by faith. And we'll see this time and time again in the book of Matthew that God uses the humble, those that will trust and obey him. He humbles the exalted, those who puff themselves up, and he exalts the humble in heart. So it's not that Joseph is a perfect guy. It's that Joseph trusts the one who's in control. And, and doesn't it require faith? Faith to believe that God impregnated Mary through the Holy Spirit. I mean, you think about that. Many throughout history and today have rejected this story. And all through our culture today, we've, we've got it. We were sing, our, you, you turn on the, the radio station and K-Kiss is playing songs about Jesus and the virgin birth. It, it's, it's all over the place, not even just inside the church. But how many people actually believe this story is a real thing? That takes faith to leave the God impregnated a woman with himself. Most people put it in the fairy tale category alongside of Santa Claus. So what do you do with this? Will you, like Joseph, believe the words of the angel? That this baby that was born 2,000 years ago really was from God himself. And why does that matter? Well, it takes us to our second question we wanted to ask. Why do we need to know that Jesus was born of God and, and not of man? Well, Matthew is going out of his way to show us this. Jesus didn't come from a line of humans. He came from God. Look, look at the words here. Before they came together, Joseph and Mary had never been sexually intimate at this point. From the Holy Spirit, the angel says. Twice this passage says, from the Spirit of God. And then Emmanuel, which means God's with us. God is here in the form of this baby. And then, but he knew her not until she had give, been given birth to a son. Again, going out of his way to say, this did not come from the seed of man. It came from the seed of God. He, I should say. So what? 
why is it important that Jesus come from God, not from man? Well, we find the answer in the two names that are given to Jesus in this passage. The first one is, he says, he says, she will bear a son, the angel says, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Now, significant here, who's to name him? The angel says, you, Joseph, shall name him. In verse 25, he named him. He gave him the name Jesus. Now, this is important because in this culture, when you gave the name to your son and acknowledged that he was, that he belonged to you. Now remember, Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, but he legally adopts Jesus as his son, and giving him this name solidifies that. And again, this has to be because the prophecies pointed Jesus back to the line of David and Abraham, and if he's not coming through Joseph and some other rando, then he's not going to be of the right line, and it disqualifies him from being the Messiah that was promised. Joseph names him, fulfilling another prophecy. Now, the name Jesus here, he says you will name him Jesus. Very popular boy's name at the time. A lot of Jesuses running around. Kind of like today, we got a lot of Aidens and things that rhyme with it. Aiden, Caden, Jaden, Maiden, China. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, the, uh, the, the, the Hebrew word um, was Yehoshua or Yeshua. We would translate this Joshua or Josh. They are longer and shortened versions of it. So it either meant the full version was Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh, another name for God, he saves. And so what does the angel say this name means? He shall save his people from their sins. Save them from what? From their sins. Now remember where most of the people, the Jewish people that he's talking to at this time were. This was a part of the exile. Remember, most of them are scattered in other countries. They're not living in the promised land at this point. For hundreds of years, because of their sin, they have been exiled from Israel. And they've been promised this king, this Messiah that will come and rescue them. And what do you think's on their mind? When God says, I'm sending a rescuer for you, a king, they're thinking politically. They're thinking someone who will come and save them from their physical enemies and bring them back into the promised land. What's not on their minds is what Matthew said is the root of the issue to save them from their sins but the reality is god knows our true enemies and our greatest troubles now now can we say this was a legit prayer request for them that i want to be saved from bondage in another country and brought back to my homeland absolutely and so many times in our prayer requests man we're thinking of the kind of tangential the, the here and now where we ask God, man, would you, uh, you take away my sickness or take away my pain, take away, uh, give me love, give me um, resources, uh, whatever it might be. And so in, so many times in our prayer requests, we're praying that I would get that job, that, that I would find a spouse, that, that I would heal. Now, listen, God cares about all of those things. He cares about every aspect of our life. But God, the, the principle here is that God doesn't deliver us from what we think we need the most but what he knows we need the most. Not from what we think we need the most, but what he knows that we need the most. And what he knows is that if you're not freed from your sin, then you can have the best job in the world, you can have the best spouse in the world, you can have all the health in the world. Grandma makes it safe to St. Louis. All your prayer requests have been answered. But none of those things in themselves will save you. None of those things will give you true, satisfying life and joy and peace. For that, we must be rescued from sin. Jesus came to save us from our greatest problem, which is sin. And Matthew said that he had actually had to be God in order to do that. That's the point of this text. Now, why does it matter? Why does Jesus have to be God? Well, think about it this way. Go back to the garden. 
the first man, Adam, he's born in the garden. He, or God, God breathes life into his nostrils, creates him from the dust. And then what does God say? If you eat of the fruit of the tree in that day, that same day you eat of the tree, you'll die. Now what happens? Adam bites into the apple. And does he fall down dead? He doesn't. Adam lives for 930 more years. So what is God referring to? He says, in that day you'll die. This is, he's talking about a spiritual death. The word means separation. Death means separation. And so what's he separated from? A relationship with God. He's disconnected from his life source. Think about a tree. When a branch is broken off of a tree, it's disconnected from its life source. And this is what happened with Adam, driven out of the garden, out of relationship and intimacy with God. Now what happened when Cain and Abel were born? They are born outside of the garden from Adam. And they were also born from Adam. They were born, they're like stillborns. They were born dead in their sin, disconnected from God. Because just think about the little twigs on that branch. Where are those twigs? They're where the branches. So, if we're, so Cain and Abel and every single one of us who have come from the line of Adam are born separated from the life of God. So here we have Jesus who comes to die for our sin and to give us life. How can he do that? Well, what is the one prerequisite for dying? You have to be alive, right? You can't kill a dead person. A dead person can't die for somebody else. They're already dead. And so if Jesus was born of Joseph, if he was born from the line of Adam, he's born dead just like you and I. He can't die for us. He can't give us any of God's life. He doesn't have it. He'd be separated just like we were. There have only been two men in history who were born alive. Adam and Jesus. In fact, this is why Paul calls him the last or the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15. See, in Adam, we all die. Everybody who's come from Adam, the first Adam, is dead because Adam is dead. But 1 Corinthians says the first Adam came, so also the second Adam has come, the last Adam. And it says, Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. He came from a different source. And so Jesus came with a new beginning for those who were born dead. Jesus was not born from human parents. He was not born disconnected from God's life source, but directly from God because he is God. And so Jesus being born from God is able to do what? You can only pay off a debt if you don't owe yourself. So Jesus was able to pay our debt and he was able to give us life because he was alive, because he came directly from the life source of God as himself. So the difference between these two Adams, Adam died for his own sin. So that's the one option we have. We can pay for our own sins forever and ever and ever as we are already dead. We just stay in that state, separated from God, this side of the grave and the other side of the grave. Or we can believe that Jesus died for our sin, the only other Adam who had life to give, and that he came, paid our penalty, died in our place, and gave us his life. And that's why he said, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And for those of us that are taken from Adam's tree and placed into Christ, we can have life. So if you take away the virgin birth, if Jesus is born from Joseph, then he is not able to deal with our sin. He's not able to die for us. And we are still dead in our sin without hope. But praise God. Praise God for the second name that he uses here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the reality is Jesus didn't just come from God. He is himself God. Another gospel tells us that very specifically. John 1, 1. And the word was God. 
Now, as opposed to Jesus, which was a very common name, nobody was naming their child Emmanuel at that time. And we actually have a Emmanuel in our church, so I don't know, that's something. Um, but we're, now, he, Jesus wasn't actually called this in the Gospels. Nobody ever refers to him as Emmanuel. This is a description of who he is, a title that was promised and, and given to him. And he's quoting Isaiah 7.14 here. It's a, it's a promise that had a promise then, but an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And um, it, it's a promise that says, from a virgin will come a son, and that son will be the Messiah. This will be the king, God with us. And of course, this pointed to Jesus. There was no sweeter news that Israel could have heard. And I'm here to tell you today, there is no sweeter news the people of Soldatna could hear than the fact that God is with us right now. For the first time since the Garden of Eden, the glory of God dwells among us. No longer up on a smoky mountain with fire. Remember when Moses went to, to meet with God in his presence? Did any other Israelite that touches the mountain dies? You cannot enter my holy presence. And then when his presence, the Shekinah glory, enters into the holy of holies, one man, one time a year, could enter into that place. Our sinfulness could not could not be in relationship with this holy God. But here we have, right here, Jesus Christ in the flesh, right in our midst, in the muck and the mire and the sin and the mess with the rest of us. This is the song we're going to sing at the end today. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. We can see him. He's not hidden on a mountain. He's not hidden behind a curtain. He's right here in our midst. Hail the incarnate deity. Incarnate, made flesh, God in human form, pleased as man with men to dwell. He wanted to be with us. He wants to be with us today. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Matthew frames his entire gospel with this. Here in chapter 1, he says, God is with us. And the last verse of his gospel, what does he say? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us in spirit form right now today. And that's the only hope we have. Jesus tells us what he does. His name, Jesus, explains what he did. He saved his people from their sins. Emmanuel tells us who God is, who Jesus is. He is God with us, God in human form. Who he is and what he does, you, you can't divorce the two. The only reason he can do what he did is because he is who he was. He was who he is. Um, God in human form was the only way he could save his people. This was the only man for the job, had to be born from Abraham, David. And this is the only God for the job. And to be with us is to save us. Do you realize that? If death means separation from God, what's life? It's union with God. It's walking in relationship with the Father, the great lover of our souls. And so, this Christmas... You're excited for December 25th and all the presents under the tree. I'm here to tell you, that Nintendo Switch, as awesome as it will be, will not save your kid from their sin. Probably. Really cool features in the new Nintendos, but I don't think they got that one. The newest iPad. Whatever it is, it brings you joy. They talk about the 3 o'clock Christmas, kind of like the buzzkill. Like at 3 o'clock, you're already bummed. Christmas is over, the presents are out, you're moving on. Didn't bring you life and all-time satisfaction. We don't put security in a, a human ruler. I don't care who becomes president in 2020. Our hope cannot be pinned to that cabinet. No matter what health and wealth are under the Christmas tree, there is only one. If you want joy to come to your world, there's only one way. That's with being in relationship with 
your God. Knowing him, delighting in him, finding life and heart change in him. And the only way, there's one path, and it's through Emmanuel, it's through that manger and the cross. Jesus himself came to save us from our greatest need, was to be reconciled with God. And what are we seeing this year? God and sinner reconciled. So why do we need to know that Joseph did the right thing? Why does that matter? Well, a couple things. Remember, we said last week, Matthew wrote to his Jewish audience primarily. So this is to assure his Jewish audience that Jesus was of Joseph's lineage, the rightful Messiah. In other words, if Joseph had decided to go the other way and say, I'm not going to be the baby daddy. I am not going to take Mary and this child. I'm not going to give him the name. I'm not going to be the legal heir. He's not going to be my legal heir. Then what's at risk there? Jesus not being of the right lineage, connected to Abraham and, and, and David, and there goes your promise. He also wants to assure us that Jesus was born of Joseph, was not born of Joseph, but of God. And, why, and here, what do we see? We see time and time again in this little story, Joseph's character, his integrity. Matthew says, you can trust my testimony, that you can trust Joseph's testimony. He didn't sleep with Mary before he, she was impregnated by God comes from God, not man, and to assure us that God works with those who trust him. These are the people that God wants to work with, and this is what he's done throughout that lineage. He's preserved a line of people, not who are perfect, but who believe him, who trust and obey him. And he looks at their hearts, he exalts the humble, and he humbles the exalted. If we want to be people who work with God, God with us and works with us, we have to be the kind of people that trust him, trust his way, not our way. And why do we need to know that Jesus was born of God and not man? Why is that important? Well, what do we see today? If Jesus is born of Joseph, it's, he is disqualified. He's born dead just like you and I, and he can't save your sins any better than I can. But because the truth is that he is God with us, born of the Spirit, not of a man, it assures us that Jesus is qualified as our King, as our God, to die in our place for our sins, to offer us God's life, and to reign over the world now and forever as King. Amen? Joy to the world. Emmanuel has come. He saved us, he rescued us, and he reigns now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus came in the midst of the busyness this time of year, all the Christmas parties, all the present buying, all the everything that's going on, we just want to take this moment here as your people to slow down, to even stop, to pause our hearts before you, and to revel in the beauty and the knowledge that you did not leave us in our sin. You did not leave us disconnected from our great life source. But Jesus came veiled in flesh, we can see the Godhead. And because Jesus came from the right line, and because he was God himself, he was the right man and the right God for the job, who could die for our sin, who could offer us his life. And now, because of him, we have the hope that today, today, not just on the other side of the grave, today, we can know our God through Jesus. We can be reconciled to our God through Jesus. We can celebrate and delight in who he is and the reason there's any joy or peace at this time of year is we look around in a world of chaos, both outside our door and inside. The only hope that we have is that God's here. That he's operating in and through our hearts, changing them to become more like his son, reconciling the world to himself through Emmanuel, Jesus, who rescued us from our sin. Father, I pray if there's somebody who doesn't believe that, hasn't accepted that today, it would be the day. You said in your word, 
John chapter 1, to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We could be your children today, not born again of a physical birth, but from the birth that comes from God. Lord, may we be a humble people that finally admit, man, our way's not working. That these other things that I'm chasing under the tree are not giving me joy. There's one source and his name is Jesus. That we become a people, as you change our hearts, we can't do this, we, we cannot do this on our own. That, you would, that we'd be the kind of people that would trust and obey you. Maybe there's somebody in this room today that needs to make a hard decision. Maybe a lot of confusion outside of that. A lot of people who don't agree with it. But if they're convicted and they know from your word and godly counsel and your spirit that's moving through them, that's what they need to do. That just like Joseph, man, his circumstance was messed up. He did, it did not make sense from a human point of view. But he knew from your word and the angel that it was what he was called to trust and obey. We believe your heart no matter how high the waves are. No matter how dark the, shallow, the valley of the shadow of death is, we would know that we do not need to fear. Why? Because you are with us. We praise your name. Jesus who saves, Emmanuel who's here. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.